You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Green and Gold History. 50-plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is A's Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. All righty, it's time for a little top ten here on A's Cast Live. Feldy, how you doing? I'm doing well, Tony. How are you? Uh, always one of my favorite days in baseball, St. Patrick's Day, where everybody busts out the green. I've already texted Steve Vucinich, please save me the St. Patty's Day hat. It's always one of my favorites. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. The, the history of this goes back to the 19th century, the Phillies back in the 1890s broke out green uniforms for uh, during spring training for St. Patrick's Day. So this is a, a very long tradition. And for me as a kid, I always remember the Cincinnati Reds yeah. on St. Patrick's Day wearing the green and saying, Johnny Bench in green, that just does not look right. <laughs> but it's cool, right? I mean, it's like everybody does it. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's one of the fun things that you see every year at spring training. It is fun, and it's you need that in spring training. We're getting into the just past the midway point here. There's a few weeks left, a couple weeks left. Um, you need to break up the monotony because it just gets pretty dull about this point. So changing up the uniforms, that's a good way to help break it up. So when you look at the A's, and I don't want to overstate it, but, man, if Jed Lowry's back to being Jed Lowry, what does that mean for the lineup? It means a lot. It really – you saw the difference that Tommy LaStella made last year when he joined the team as far as a guy taking good at bats, putting the ball in play. And Jed Lowry is very similar to that, that he takes good at bats, um, cuts down the strikeouts, and it has a trickle-down effect on the lineup. He's also a switch hitter, which is also a key. And if you can play defensively as well as you did when he was here in 2018, your, your infield defense is as solid as, as it's going to be. Because I'm, I'm a big fan of Elvis I think he can probably cover more ground than Marcus Simeon did. So between Chapman and Andrews on the left side and a healthy Lowry and also on the right side, there's not a lot getting through that infield. So healthy Jed Lowry, it plays off, and it plays off into the depth of the team too because now you have a much stronger bench with Pinder and Kemp being bench players and being able to fill in as opposed to being starters. Yeah, and, and you know – those last two years, I was thinking we were talking about you earlier, by the way. I don't know if you were listening, but we were talking about how if you did like great two year runs in A's history, that 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 run that Jed had in 2017, 2018, where he was an all star, that would add, I, I think you'd have to probably put him in your top 10. Yeah, especially considering the position he was playing, he was playing second base and he was putting up offensive numbers at a position, especially in, in A's history, it's never been a great offensive position, right? But he made it that in those two years. One year with the homers, one year with the doubles, driving in runs, clutch hitting. Uh, and again, I, I can't stress this enough. When he was playing shortstop with the A's, especially that last season in 2014, he didn't have the range. His, his footwork wasn't great. And I know he had some injuries in the lower body too. But when he came back as a second baseman, his defense was solid. He made every play. He turned the double play. And that's, that goes a long way. Just, you know, forget the offense. Having a guy that good defensively 
make such a big difference with the pitching staff. Yeah, he didn't hurt you, and we weren't expecting him to be Roberto Alomar, for God's sakes. It's like, hey, if they hit it at you, make the play, but then go out and hit a bunch of extra base hits. And 2018, he's hitting dingers. He drives in 99 runs. I mean, 99 runs from a second baseman? Are you kidding? I mean, he's he, he has been the only guy in the Bob Melvin era that every day Bob put him in the same spot lineup. I, I know we could say Marcus ended up doing that at leadoff, but really every day you knew Jed Lowry's hitting third. Yeah, and, it's, and that's another big key. And I think this, this A's lineup has a chance to be very – very consistent day in and day out with the people in it, right? Because Chapman's a guy who plays every day. Olsen plays every day. Andrus plays every day. Now, Lowry, you want him to play every day, but look, he's coming off two years where he didn't play at all. So if he makes this club and he is your second base, then you are going to have to find places to rest, right? Because he's not going to make it through a whole season, at least at the beginning. Now, if he proves that he's healthy and can play every day, sure. Um, but you think about the second half of the season, and if you do the, you know, the quality control – and load management, and you get into the August and September, and everybody's still playing at peak value, I mean, the A's are in a great spot because they will have a consistent lineup every day. All right. I- I'm interested on ha- how's this going to go? Athletics that weren't as good as their brother. I, I can think of two. Is there really <laughs> 10 different sets of brothers who played for the Oakland Athletics? So one qualifier, both brothers don't have to play for the A's. Although okay. you'll see when we get on the list that many of them did. Um, but there have been 419 sets of brothers to play Major League Baseball. 419. That's amazing. You know how hard it is to yeah. make the majors and then to have a brother who also makes the majors. And in some cases, in some families, two brothers, three brothers make the majors. The, the odds of that are so slim, and yet we see it happening. And to me, that is amazing. Now, the other point hey, is, hey, how about the Alou family? Whether exactly. it's the dad, son, they all made the big leagues. <laughs> the Alou's make it. The Boons make it. The Bells yeah. make it, right? Yeah. Um, but now you're, you're good enough to make the majors, and yet your brother is like a superstar, and you're not. I mean, that's just got to – I don't know how that handles mentally. I don't know if you have an older or younger brother. I did not grow up with a brother, but can you imagine having a brother who is – you're also a big leader, but better than you. That's got to eat at you. Uh, yeah, I got an older brother who's four years older than I am. He's a golf pro in San Diego, and he just whooped me at Pebble Beach yesterday. I mean, <laughs> whooped me. Uh, he shot like I shot ninety-one. He shot like seventy. He shot like seventy-five. I mean, he's birdieing these. I'm like, you got to be kidding. Uh, I, 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 one, one group. I, I doubt they're on it, but I thought about this. Mark McGuire. Dan McGuire. Dan McGuire was a quarterback at San Diego State, was a first-round pick by the Seattle Seahawks. Dan McGuire, not as good as Mark McGuire. No. No, and that leads us to one of our honorable mentions, and that's Trace Thompson, who played two games with the A's. You're Trace Thompson. You're good enough to be a Major League Baseball player. I mean, he had a cup of coffee with the A's. He played with the Dodgers. He's homered in the big leagues. Yet, your brother is one of the greatest shooters in the history of the NBA. I mean, come on. And that was always cool. Like when he made that one catch and Clay was going nuts. Um, And the other thing that was cool is Clay just shows up to A's games in the stands with an A's hat and he's eating nachos. And you're like, man, Clay Thompson's at the A's game. 
Trace Osmopy, that's so cool. I mean, I'll never get over that. It's just so much fun to see Clay there. But Trace, Trace is one of our honorable mentions. Clay for right. the not quite as good as his brother. All right. Do you have anybody else honorable mention? So a few more guys who are kind of slimmer, similar to the brothers. Eric Patterson, who played for the A's, is similar to his brother, Corey Patterson. Uh, Scott Hairston, similar to Jerry Hairston. Uh, Rudy Lugo, was similar to Julio Lugo. Andy LaRoche, probably not as good as Adam LaRoche. Um, probably the guy who just missed it for me was Tim Morrell, who was an A's reliever in 99, was not as good as his brother Todd Morrell. Yeah. Uh, but Tim Morrell had a very good major league career. But the A's, it wasn't so good. And he'll always be remembered for a game in Fenway where he came in, bases loaded, 10 pitch at bat to Brian Dabak, who is a you know Massachusetts son of Massachusetts. And Dabak gets a game winning walk off double, 10 pitch at bat against Tim Morrell. And that was sort of his, uh, his A's legacy. All right, number 10. All right, number 10 is the reason this came up. Is um, scrolling on Twitter one day, and there's a pitcher, and there's Craig Nettles, the great third baseman for the Yankees, at the Coliseum. Pitcher's taking the Coliseum. Craig's in his Yankee uniform. And there's his brother, Jim Nettles, in an A's uniform. I'm like, Jim Nettles? What? That's right. Jim Nettles played for the A's. He didn't play very much. He played one game for the A's in 1981. But Jim Nettles, uh, three years younger than Craig, and, you know, had an interesting major league career. He actually came up in 1970 with the Twins, played a few years with the Twins, goes back to the minors, shows up again in 74 with the Tigers, goes, spends four more years in the minors, comes up with the Royals in 79, back to the minors, and finally he comes up to the A's in 1981 and his only played appearance with the A's is a sacrifice bunt on September 13th versus the Royals. That's it. That's his only played appearance, but the A's go to the playoffs in 81 and Jim Nettles, along with our friend, Shooty Babbitt, they got to stay with the club in case of, you know, injury replacement sort of situation. So that's how this picture with Craig Nettles and Jim Nettles gets taken. It gets taken at the 81 ALCS where Craig Nettles is the MVP of that series. Right. He goes six for 12, with two doubles, a homer, drives in nine runs in only three games. Uh, and Craig Nettles was a great third baseman in the 70s, uh, a little bit of the 80s too, a six-time All-Star. And Jim Nettles is a guy who knocked around for a while and had his, his one game with the A's in 1981. Nettles and my uncle are best buddies. They grew up yeah. together. Yeah, they went to San Diego High, played baseball. They, they grew up like – they, you know, both grew up near downtown San Diego and they grew up little league and all the way they went to high school to graduate together. And still to this day, as they're in their seventies now, uh, they're, 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 you know, Nettles moved to his kids went somewhere in the Southeast. So he moved down there. It's like Alabama or somewhere like that. But he and my uncle are still, uh, my uh, best, best buddies. They grew up together. It's crazy. All right. Number nine. Number nine is Eric Ludwig, the older brother of Ryan Ludwig. And Eric Ludwig, seven years older than Ryan, and he was acquired from the Cardinals in the Mark McGuire trade in 1997, along with TJ Matthews and Blake Stein. And Eric Ludwig was going to be this linchpin in the rotation going forward. Not so much. Made five starts for the A's in 97, an ERA over eight. Couldn't, he couldn't throw strikes. He was not good. And they're getting traded to the Marlins for Kurt Abbott. Uh, so terrible time. You know, that trade, the A's were trading from a position of weakness, and they didn't get much from McGuire, although T.J. Matthews did have a, a solid A's career. 
but now in 1999, the, actually, the A's actually draft Ryan Ludwig. He's in the second round. The A's took Barry Zito in the first round. They take Ryan Ludwig in the second round. This is a power hitting outfielder out of Nevada. Uh, the A's actually trade him to Texas in the Carlos Pena deal before uh, the 2002 season. And Ryan Ludwig goes on to have a very good major league career. Played 12 years. He was an all-star in 2008 when he was with the Cardinals. That year he had 37 homers, 113 runs batted in. Ended up with the Reds. He had three homers for the Reds in the 2012 NLDS versus the Giants. I mean, a solid major league outfielder uh, that the A's, you know, at the time they needed to replace Giambi. We've seen the movie. Uh, they went with Carlos Pena and they gave up Ryan Ludwig and they gave up a pretty good ball player. Uh, they gave up the wrong Ludwig. They acquired, or they acquired the, the wrong Ludwig and they traded away the right Ludwig. This list is awesome. Number eight. Number eight is a, is a fellow who just passed away recently, and that's Billy Canigliaro, uh, the, the younger brother of Tony Canigliaro. Um, Billy just passed away at the age of 73 back in February. And, you know, it's interesting going back and reading the story about Billy C. And that's what they call him. It was Tony C and Billy C. And we all know the tragic story of Tony C. Uh, it was just star in the making in Fenway. He gets hit in the eye. He's actually out of baseball for a year, but he comes back. And him and Billy, Tony and Billy, are teammates with the Red Sox. And in 1970, Tony and Billy C. combined for 54 home runs as teammates, which is still the record for teammate brothers. 54 home runs in a season. And, and how good was Billy and Tony? Well, Billy was playing left field. Tony was playing right field. And because of that, Kari Ostrimsky had to move to first base. And the boomer, George Scott, had to play third base. And that's how good the Canigliaro brothers were. Um, eventually, you know, Tony, he, he got injured. He couldn't play. Uh, Billy C. got disgruntled. He goes to the Brewers. The A's actually pick him up. In 1973, uh, he doesn't play well for the A's. He plays in 48 games and only hits 200. But you know what? He's on the postseason roster, and he is a starting center fielder in game three of the ALCS versus the Orioles. And he also had three at-bats in the World Series. And here's probably the coolest thing about Billy Canigliaro on the back of his uniform. And you can go watch the World Series highlights from 1973, and you'll see it. Not his last name, Canigliaro. It said Billy C. How that, awesome is that? Yeah, that is pretty cool. Number seven. Number seven is, well, he was the untouchable one, right? Jamal Weeks. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, four years younger than brother Ricky and ace first round draft pick in 2008. And, and you look back at his first month in the majors. Uh, he gets called up on June 7th uh, in 2011. Uh, two days later, Bob Guerin is fired and Bob Melvin takes over. And then a few weeks after that, the A's trade Mark Ellis because Rick, uh, Jamal Weeks is the A's second baseman of the future. And he had a tremendous rookie season, right? Those last three months, hit over 300, stole 22 bases. And the A's are going to make Jamal Weeks the focal point of their marketing campaign for the 2012 season. He's on the pocket schedule. He's on the media guide. And what happens? He homers twice in the first eight games, and it screwed him up for the rest of the season, maybe the rest of his career, because outside of one eight-game hot streak in May, he hits 220 the entire year. Eventually, uh, the A's kind of move him out of the everyday lineup. In 2013, he only plays eight games in the majors before he's traded to Baltimore for Jim Johnson. 
And by 2016, he's out of the majors. I mean, talk about a guy who has burst on the scene. He's going to be a star. He's the untouchable one. And four years later, he's out of baseball. So after that first little stint where he did so well, we're at 95-7 the game at that time was the home of the A's. And the A's come trouting him in. They come bringing him in for, during the offseason because he's the one guy that is untouchable. And we did this long interview with him. Man, how things change. And I'll never forget one of the VPs for the A's, no longer with the ball club, had to bring me something. I can't remember what it was, but he brought it to me in the Jamil Weeks spring backpack giveaway. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Jamile Weeks was supposed to be the star of the A's. It's, I mean, that's kind of sad. It is. And it, it also shows you how hard it is to not only make the major leagues, but stay in the major leagues and be a successful player. Uh, it's, it takes so much. Uh, every day is a battle. And for whatever reason, Jamal Weeks, like I said, he hit those two home runs early. And I really think it did screw up his swing. And he, he was never able to get it back. And that was it. I mean, his career is basically done after one year. Number six. Number six was a very good pitcher in his own right. But his brother was a Hall of Famer. And that's Jim Perry, the younger, the older brother of Gaylord Perry. He's three years older than Gaylord. Uh, and Jim Perry, I mean, he was a tremendous pitcher in his own right. He was a three-time All-Star. He won the Cy Young in 1970. He was third in the Cy Young in 69. Uh, now he's 39 years old, 1975. And the A's, who were in a, in a heated division race with the Royals, um, they knew they needed more starting pitching, especially after losing Catfish Hunter. So they acquire Jim Perry uh, from the Indians, along with Dick Bosman, for Blue Moon Odom. And this happened in May. Uh, Perry makes 11 starts with the A's, 3-4, and 4.66 ERA, one shot. And he's okay, uh, but he's 39 years old, and it's starting to wear on him. And the A's end up releasing him in August, and they gave his uh, starting spot to a youngster, 38-year-old Sonny Siebert. It was an it was an odd mood, and it was never it was Charlie Finley just playing around with old guys, uh, and Jim Perry was gone. That was the last he pitched in baseball. Now here's his uh, younger brother Gaylord, who pitched to the age of 44, actually won a Cy Young at age 39 with the Padres, finishes with 314 wins, goes to the Hall of Fame. Jim Perry, a very short 11 starts with the A's in 75. I didn't even know there was a Jim Perry. Number five. Number five, Stephen Drew. Eight years younger than J.D. Drew. Five years younger than Tim Drew. So three Drew brothers who made it to the big leagues. Uh, and, you know, Stephen Drew, he was the first-round pick of the Diamondbacks in 2004. In uh, 2008, playing for Bob Melvin with the Diamondbacks. He's 21 home runs. He's a legitimate, he's a legitimate all-star waiting to happen. Uh, but he suffers that gruesome ankle injury in 2011, sliding in at home plate. Uh, but in 2012, the A's acquire him to play short down the stretch. This just goes back to Jamal Weeks. They couldn't handle Jamal Weeks anymore. So you get Drew to play short. You move Pennington to second, and it works. Uh, you know, we all know how the A's finished 2012. And, and Stephen Drew played very well for the A's, even in the postseason. That was it. He only played that half of the year. He would go on to play for the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Nationals. He was a starting shortstop for the World Series winning uh, 2013 Red Sox. Uh, but Stephen Drew, he was never quite 
never quite J.D. Drew, who put up some big, big power numbers. And supposedly one of the biggest pains as a father, and you're also represented by Scott Boris, no day at the beach dealing with the Drew family. No, no. I mean, J.D. Drew right away saying, I'm not going to play. Just What a mess from the beginning. And it really puts a target on your back, right, for J.D. Drew. I don't think he ever got rid of that target. I don't think he ever got the due for how good a player he actually was because everyone remembered what he dealt with dealing with him with Scott Burroughs as an amateur. Number four. All right. Now we're getting to brothers who uh, both brothers played for the A's. Uh, this one is Marcos Armas, who was 16 years younger than his brother, Tony Armas. <laughs> 16 years. And believe me, more than one people thought Tony was Marcos's dad. Uh, Marcos, no, he was a 16 years younger. Uh, the A's signed him out of Venezuela in 87. You know, he showed good power in, in 92 with Huntsville and 17 homers. And in 93, McGuire has the foot problems. He's out. And the A's are just trying to slew a first baseman. Dale Swaim, Mike Aldretti, Kevin Seitzer, Troy Neal. And finally, they bring up Marcos Armas. So he gets a shot. He gets 15 games. He hits 194 with one home run. And the one home run came in a, in a crazy game against the Twins. It was a day game at the Coliseum. And it's raining. It's miserable out there. Uh, the A's are leading 8-5, to five, going to the eighth inning. And the Twins scored four runs off two future Hall of Famers in Goose Gossage and Dennis Eckersley. But the A's take the lead back. They go to the ninth. And it's Joe Baver takes the hill in the ninth to save it. Eck had pitched two days in a row now. It was raining. It was miserable out there. He struggled to get out of the eighth innings. They're bringing Joe Baver, Baver the saver, and he was terrible. He goes double, triple, walk, E5, single by Kirby Puckett, and the A's are now trailing. Uh, Marcos Armas leads off the bottom of the ninth with his only career homer, uh, but the A's still end up losing. Crazy, rainy, four-hour game, uh, and that was Marcos's Armas' one moment with the A's. I – I don't even remember. What year was that? This was 1993. Yeah, I'm in the. I'm I'm in college. I'm in the Bay. I don't remember. I don't even remember him. I even, that's crazy. Marcos Armas, 16 years younger than Tony. <laughs> wow, number three. Now, speaking of another younger brother, uh, Chris Bando, 12 years younger than Captain Sal. And you know, Chris was a legitimate backup catcher in the majors. He was a backup catcher with the Indians for eight seasons. Uh, I even had a season in 84 where he had 12 home runs. So he was a legitimate major league player, but he comes to the A's in 1989 and you're going to love this. This is the last game of the season in 89. It's the last career game for Chris Bando. It's also the last major league game of Billy Bean. All right. So this game goes into extra innings. Uh, they go to the 11th. Stan Javier leads off of the walk, and here comes Billy Bean. And Billy Bean's last major league plate appearance, sacrifice bunt. Wow. Let that soak in. I think we know why Billy Bean does not like the sacrifice bunt. It has nothing to do with sabermetrics. It has nothing to do about giving him. It's all about his last plate appearance. They made him bunt. They took the bat out of his hands. He's never gotten over it. Oh, you're blowing my mind. This is incredible. So Billy Bean lays down the bunt successfully. And here comes Chris Bando, his final major league at bat. 
walk-off single to right field. The A's get their 99th win going into the postseason. Bando's the hero. People are going crazy for it. What a way to end your career, right? Playing for the team that your brother starred in, helping this team go to the World Series. I mean, they were going to playoffs anyway, but still, with the win, walk-off single, final major league at bat. I cannot believe Billy Bean's last at bat was a sack. I'm, I'm after the show. I'm texting him. Your last at bat was a sack bunt. It explains so much, doesn't it? Wow. Yes, it does. They didn't say that in Moneyball. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> number two. All right. Now we're getting to the two that most people probably think yeah. of. And number two is uh, is Ozzy Canseco, the the twin of Jose Canseco, and. You know, Ozzy was a second-round draft pick by the Yankees as a pitcher in 1983. Uh, the year prior to that, Jose was drafted in the 15th round by the A's. So Ozzy was a legitimate pitching prospect to go in the second round. But he never got higher than eight ball as a pitcher. It never panned out. The Yankees finally released him. He signed with the A's, making him come back as a hitter. And he shows promise, right? He hits 15 homers in 1988. Um you know, he, he works his way and he comes up to the A's in July of 1990. Um, strikes out for Jamie Quirk in his first major league at bat. And I think all the A's fans who were there for, for Ozzy's first major league hit remember this. This is July 25th against the Angels. Um, in the bottom of the third inning, Jose Canseco comes up, singles to left, and gets thrown out at second base by Max Venable, trying to stretch a single into a double. Bottom of the fourth, Ozzy comes up, singles to left, thrown out at second base by Max Venable trying to stretch to a double carbon copy. It was, you can't even explain it. I mean, these are two guys who definitely look alike. They're twin brothers. First major league hit. He gets thrown out at second, just like his brother did the inning before. It was unreal. I, you know, you thought twins, this guy's going to be a monster. He's built. He's, you know, on roids too, but I mean, I mean, both these guys. I mean, what was Ozzy? He was like around six two, six three. He looked like a linebacker. He did. I mean, he had the broad shoulders just like Jose, and you know, he played nine games with the A's in '90. Only went two for nineteen. Uh, he struck out ten times. The A's released him, but I'm going to give Ozzy Canseco some credit, and I think people don't realize this about him. He goes to the Cardinals, and he works his way back up to the big leagues in 1992. It actually has a very good September for them. He hits 275 with five doubles. He's walking. Um, in 93, he makes his way to the majors again with the Cardinals for, for a few games. That's really impressive, right, to not give up. This was a guy who started his career as a pitcher, uh, comes back as an outfielder. Maybe he gets to come up to the A's as a favor to his brother at the time. But to his credit, he went back, signed with another organization, and still made it back to the big leagues. And, and that's saying something. No doubt about it. And I think, you know, unfortunately, this guy. <laughs> and I don't know if he slides, if he's safe. I mean, you just don't know. And it's one of the great plays in the history of baseball by Derek Jeter. Uh, number one. Number one is Jeremy Giambi. Three years younger than Jason. And he is the typical younger brother. Um, you know, Jason got the personality. He got the talent. Got the looks. Uh, Jeremy had to scrap and work for everything, for every bit of attention, for anything Jeremy had to scrap. And you know what? Jeremy was a pretty good offensive baseball player. 
Yeah. Uh, he, he could get on base, and that was why the A's targeted him and acquired him from the Royals in February of 2000, not before 2002. The A's, not like in the movie, the A's got him in February 2000. And, you know, he played 104 games in 2000. He played 124 games in 2001. And in 2001, he had a 391 on base percentage, a 124 OPS plus. He hit 10 homers. I mean, he was a good offensive player. He was a guy who got on base and kept that lineup moving. And he started to show more and more power as he was getting older. And even in 2002, he had a 390 on base percentage in the 42 games before he was traded to the Phillies for John Mabry. And again, showing home runs. And he actually finished that year with the Phillies. He had a 435 on base percentage with them. Um, but Jeremy, it just he was the younger brother. And I don't think he could ever get through it. Um, you know, ends up with the Red Sox and his career didn't really go anywhere after that 2002 season. And he definitely had some interesting things about him. I got to know Jeremy pretty well. Um, and it definitely, he, he had to battle a lot of demons. Um, and as far as sliding or not sliding, I've watched that play legitimately, legitimately 500, 600 times. And I know for a fact, as much as I can know anything, that if he slid, he was going to be out because Posada was expecting him to slide. And if you watch Posada's tag, he goes down with his glove to meet him at the plate and then actually tags him moving his glove up on the back of his calf. Jeremy slides, he's, he's going to be out. You know, a lot of people don't know, as Jason Giambi was a star at Long Beach State, Jeremy was phenomenal at Fullerton. I mean, yeah. he had a very good college career. Yeah, I mean, he was a really good offensive baseball player. He was not Jason Giambi. And I think living in that shadow was just, it's a lot to take. You know, he, like I said, the typical younger brother. And, you know, Jason got everything. And Jeremy had to fight for it. But in his own right, if he was just Jeremy Gian- or Jeremy Johnson, like you're no relation, and you just looked at his numbers, you said, this is a really good player that you want on your team. By the way, when I played against Jason Giambi in college, do you think he looked his body looked the same way uh, that it looked when he was with the A's? No, n- not at all. <laughs> not a, I mean, you go back, you watch Jason's first major league homer, which was a 95 against David Cohn, and he is this skinny, long hair, uh, I mean, really thin, tiny waist guy hitting a home run. I mean, no, his body was totally different. Uh, do you think Phil Nevin, then we played against Nevin at Fullerton, do you think he looked the same when he was a Padre and he was an all-star that he did when he was in college? What did Phil Nevin look like in college? Uh, he wasn't that big. <laughs> <laughs> These guys, like I, rem- I remember showing up to the ballpark, right? I was working at KMBR at the time. And I remember walking into the A's clubhouse and I'm looking at Giambi. I'm like, this dude's put on like 40 pounds. I mean, he was a skinny, he was a skinny, ba- okay, first of all, in college, Giambi raked, he hit a, he hit like a 500 foot home run off of me, but he was skinny and he was a third baseman. And then it's not like you, if you work out, you're not going to gain 40 pounds a month. Like I walked into the clubhouse and I looked at Giambi and I went, this is not that far from him at Long Beach State. How did he get so big? How does his head bigger? His shoulders are bad. I mean, it's like it's it's amazing what these guys did, and no one paid attention. Like Bonds, look at Bonds as a pirate and Bonds as a giant. It's like two different human beings. It is, and and and, and Jason, and I saw this with McGuire too. Um, even though they were 
doing what they were doing, they were spending the time in the gym and putting the work in, right? And that's how Jason can get to be so big and McGuire get to be so big because it wasn't just shoot yourself up and go out and play baseball and you're going to be huge. No, you still have to put the work in in the gym. And they did do that. Um, and you're talking about these, like, especially with Jason, because he was such a good hitter, such a good hitter. And then you give him this, this extra boost of recovery and power. And you saw what it was. You talk about two-year stints with the A's. His 2000-2001 might be the top of the list. Go look at pictures of Ken Caminetti at San Jose State. He was also on some type of Olympic team that played uh, at Candlestick Park. Go look at those pictures and then go look at them in like 96, 97. Yeah, yeah. And, that, you know, in, in contrast to that is you watched how Ken Griffey Jr. aged, right? He aged like a person normally ages. They get a little bigger, but it's more in the belly they get a little more punchier, right? And that's not what we saw with these other guys, especially when we talk about Barry Bonds. But Ken Griffey Jr. to me was a guy, yeah, that's a guy who's just aging naturally. Correct. Like, you don't get – like, all of a sudden we started seeing guys get better when they're 37, 38. You're like, whoa. Your eyesight starts to go. Your legs start to go. You know, players yesteryear were pretty much kind of when they got in their early 30s, they were starting to go. And now guys are having career years in their mid to late 30s. Come on, man. Really? Yeah. And what you're seeing now, right, 20 years later, 15 years later, is those players who are now 32, 33 in today's game, they're not getting those contracts because they are going to age naturally for as much as we know. And you're seeing their production just drop off the table because that's normally what happens when you hit 32, 33. This was fantastic, man. This was a lot of fun. There's a guy like, I didn't know Gaylord Perry had a brother. <laughs> That's a, uh, this was a lot of fun. Hey, be well, be safe, and we appreciate the time. All right. Thanks, Tony. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.